All right, well, welcome. Welcome as we open up God's Word. We are in week two of our series, Steadfast Prayer, but this series is continuing our journey through the book of Colossians. We have two more messages, and we'll be finished with the book of Colossians. So I've, I've enjoyed this series. We started Colossians when uh, the COVID lockdown started uh, back in March. We, I felt like I, I wanted us to look at Christ and look at the, the centrality of Christ in the middle of all of this. And so we're going to finish Colossians, and, and then we're going we're gonna to have a, a special message on se- se- September 6th. But then September 13th, we are going to kick off a study through the Gospel of John. And so it's going to be a, a long journey. We're going to go through it. It's going to take quite a while to get through, but we're going to journey through it and even look, look even more into the life of Christ. And so looking forward to studying John with you. So as, as, we, as we looked at uh, the beginning of chapter 4, verse 2, we really only looked at w- one verse last week. We were talking about prayer, and, and the Apostle Paul said there, in Colossians 4, 2, that we should continue in steadfastness, to, to be steadfast in prayer, to continue in prayer. And so what we talked about, what I felt like was important for us to, when we were talking about the subject of prayer, I, I felt like it was important for us to understand the foundation of prayer. And that it, it's important to be steadfast, to be continual, to not waver, to pray without ceasing. But if the attitude of our heart is not in the right place, then we miss the blessing of prayer. And that it's important that our, our, our posture is correct when we come before the Lord. And what was that attitude of heart that we talked about last week? Humility. That was the attitude of heart. That is the foundation of all God-pleasing prayer is humility. If, you, if we don't come to the Lord in humility in prayer, my belief is, is that our prayers are ineffective. We can pound the desk, and we can pray, pray and plead, but if it's not from a foundation of humility, I believe it is ineffective. And so that's how we should approach prayer. The Apostle Paul, as we're going to go on in, in Colossians 4, he's going to say, now, I want you to pray about some specific things. This is, this is what you're to do in prayer. You're to continue steadfastly. How you are to pray is humbly, and now here's some specific things that I want you to pray about. And if you know the Apostle Paul, when you study his writings in the New Testament, he's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's all about seeing the gospel advance and move forward. And so you know this is a central point of his prayer. And so what we're going to do is I'm, we're going to look at a message, and I'm titling this morning, An Open Door for the Word. An Open Door for the Word. So have you ever gone to an event that, that you were not formally invited to? You ever shown up? to an event, and, and maybe there's somebody at the door, and there's a door person. They've got a list of names that have been invited. Have you ever been to a situation like that, or maybe you've seen that happen, and the person on the, at the door is looking at the list, and they're going through the list, and what's your name? I don't, no, I don't, I don't see your name here. And so what can typically happen in situations like that is, is that that person who's trying to get in, they better know somebody. To get that door open. Because that door is not going to open for them to get into where they're wanting to go to unless they know somebody in authority. Right? So what do you say if I didn't get the invitation, but I know the owner of the, of the building. I know the one putting on the event. And so you go, they call the owner or the one that's in charge and they come and they say, well, uh, Ben Buffkin wants to get in. And, and, and they said, do you know Ben Buffkin? Well, yeah, I know Ben Buffkin. Let him in. Right? The person in authority opened the door 
and let you in, even without an, an invitation, because he was your open door. And this is the context that the Apostle Paul is continuing on in, Philos- in, in, in Colossians. Philosians. I was thinking Philippians and Colossians. I made up a new word, Philosians. <laughs> in Philosians chapter 4. And, uh, he's, it's the context of asking us as a church, the church at Colossae, to pray that God would open a door for the word. That's his prayer. And he knows that God's the only one that can open the door for the word. So let's read the text. If you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word, we, we stand in honor of the word of God because we believe that God's word is true when it says that the word of God is divinely inspired. It is a very breathed out words of God. So when we read the word of God, it is God speaking to us. Colossians 4, verses 3 through 6. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we don't take it lightly, the opportunity that we have to open your word, to hear you speak to us. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts of receptivity, that we would be ready to receive, that our hearts would be softened and ready to worship you through the hearing of your word. And pray, God, I pray that we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers of your word. We would live what we hear preached. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So, In that text, you see the Apostle Paul says, he says, at the same time, as you are praying steadfastly, you're continuing in prayer, you're persevering in prayer, at the same time, when you are praying steadfastly, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. Notice he says there, he says, to declare the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel, on account of which I am in prison. He says, I want you to pray that the door for the gospel would be open for me to preach. And the reason I'm in prison is because I preach the gospel everywhere that I go. He's in chains in prison as he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae. And he is saying, pray that I'll have more opportunity to preach the word of God. Paul makes it clear that he has one primary focus in life. One primary aim. And that is the aim of seeing the gospel advanced. You know, if you're in prison, if you're in jail, and you got that one phone call to make, or back then he didn't have a phone, right? He, had wrote, he wrote a letter. You got one letter to write, and you're going to say, I want you to pray for me. What are you going to ask for? You're going to ask that you would pray that we would be, I would be released, right? That's what I'm going to pray. Get me out of here. Pray, intercede, fast, call the church together, call everybody that, that you know. Get together and pray that I get out of this prison. But what does Paul pray? He doesn't even pray that. He says, pray for us that the door would open for us to be able to advance the gospel even further. And if you know, if you study in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul, he witnessed to to the imperial guard, the soldiers that were guarding him, wherever he was at. All he was concerned about wasn't necessarily his freedom. It was that he would still have an opportunity to declare Christ, even if it was to the ones who were keeping him captive. 
You know, and I have a real life example of that. Just at the beginning of August, there's a man in China. His name is Chen Wensing. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correct, but he was arrested on August the 3rd. We have a picture of him here. He was arrested on August the 3rd in China for preaching the gospel publicly in the street. There's a table right there. You see his cross. You see the speaker right there. And there's a little 30-second video that you can listen to if you look this up. And you don't understand what he's saying unless you understand Chinese. But he's preaching the gospel. And he gets arrested for the crime because it's illegal to do what he's doing in China. Gets arrested. Listen, listen to what the story says about Chen. He has repeatedly urged the police officers to believe in Jesus. Just like the Apostle Paul. He's, look, wherever he goes, whether he's publicly on the street or he's in jail, Chen and the Apostle Paul, right, preach the gospel. In the video of Chen speaking to officials during a previous release, the officers ask if Chen makes money from telling people about Jesus. He replies that the point of believing in Jesus is not to get money, but to receive eternal life. Wow. May we be like Chin, right? Where? Wherever. Whenever. Boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the first point that the Apostle Paul is saying here. I want you to pray. This is the first thought here. Pray for God's word to be preached with power and clarity. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, he's saying, it doesn't matter where I'm at, what, what's going on in chains, not in chains. I want you to pray for us that God would open the door for us. Pray for God's word to be preached with power and clarity. Such a singular focus on the necessity of the preaching of God's word. Do you pray that God's word would be advanced? Is that a part of your prayer life? I know that we have so many prayer needs that we pray about, and it's a part of my prayer life on a weekly basis because I've been tasked from the Lord as a gift to you. Do you know that I'm a gift to you? Ephesians 4 says that I'm a gift to you. So, right, so I'm a gift every day to you. Hopefully, hopefully you are receiving the gift, right? But I am tasked every week as a gift from the Lord to this body here to open the Bible and to teach it. So every week I'm praying, God, help me. I'm holding on to my desk saying, Lord, help me to understand. Help me to explain it. Help me to be passionate. Help me to be clear, which is how I ought to speak. Right? Do you pray with me for that? I wish you would. Pray. Pray for that. We need to pray that God's word would be preached with power and with clarity. With power and clarity. As passionate as Paul was for the message, he also understood the power of prayer behind the message. There's prayer behind every message. And yes, I should pray that the message would be powerful. And I should pray that this pulpit would always be filled with a man that preaches the word. But there's power in your prayers. There's power in your prayers for the word of God to move forward. And we need that more than ever today. We need pulpits that are filled with men that will preach the word of God, that will declare it boldly, that will speak it clearly. That must be our prayer. It's not only the individual prayer of the preacher, but it is the prayers of the congregation for the preacher. You ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. He pastored a church in London in the mid to late 1800s, and he he was a powerful preacher, a powerful man. He didn't take notes into the pulpit 
He was famous for just, he would study and study and study. He would come into the pulpit. He was so eloquent. He would preach with such power that tens of thousands of people would come all around the world and in the London area to come to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. And and they built the tabernacle, a church. They called it the London Tabernacle. And it sat thousands of people. And people would come to visit just to check out and see where Charles Spurgeon preached. And so they would very, they could occasionally have people would come by and, and stop in the middle of the week just to come see the church. And that was the case one day. There was a man that came by to see the church and wanted to get a tour of the church where Charles Spurgeon preaches at. And his tour guide happened to be Charles Spurgeon. Can you imagine that? Think about your famous, your, your, your favorite preacher. And you want to go visit the church where they preach. And you show up to come see the church that your favorite preacher preaches at and, and he gets to be your tour guide. What an amazing time. So Charles Spurgeon is showing him around the building. There was two stories, to the, uh, three stories. There was a balcony and there was the main floor and then there was a, like a basement uh, area under the main sanctuary. And Spurgeon is showing this man the church, the beautiful building and where people gather. And Spurgeon asked the man a question. He says, would you like to see the powerhouse of this ministry? Spurgeon asked as he showed the man into a lower auditorium. It is here that we get our power. For while I am preaching upstairs, hundreds of our people are in this room praying. Amen. Let it be. Let it be so. That there is power in the preaching because there is power in the prayer. I, I, I could go home right now, just on that point right there. If we will just do that, right? What a great picture, a beautiful picture of the intercession of the saints of God. Why? Because the saints of God are interceding for the preaching of God's word because the saints of God know that the power of God's word is what people need. The word of God is what people need. It's why you're here, is it not? You, you would not be here if it was not for the word of God. Somewhere in your journey, somewhere along the way, somebody opened the Bible and told you about Jesus. This is the the word of God is the way in which we come to salvation. It is the spirit of God at work through his word to convict and to motivate and to draw people to himself. And may we may we be a church that intercedes for the preaching of God's word. As Paul asked the church at Colossae, pray also for us. That there, there may be an open door for the word, that the word would be successful, that it would move forward, that it would impact people's lives and pray for us that as preachers we would be clear. The proclamation of the gospel is empowered by prayer. The Spirit of God uses the word of God as we come to the throne of grace and ask God for his blessing. We must never separate the word of God from prayer because God has joined them together. It's Warren Wearsby, pastor and theologian. We must never separate the word of God from prayer because God has joined them together. The word of God and prayer, they work hand in hand. We pray and the word moves forward and we preach and we pray. Look at Acts 2, 41 through 42, the birth of the church. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves. Devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? These are the ordinances of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to teaching, to the word of God, to the breaking of bread, which, which is fellowship, but, but it's, but it's, 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 the, it's, it's the, the, the communion, to the, to the teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, which is communion, and to the prayers. 
the teaching and the prayers. They go hand in hand. Acts 6, 4. The apostles, the elders, they said that, but we must devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer and the word of God go hand in hand. Now is not the time for a church that shrinks back from prayer and the ministry of the word. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a, of a country that seems to be on the edge, which direction are we going to go? In the middle of a time like we face when pressure is through the roof, when we're fearful and we're anxious and we're worried, in the middle of this time, now is not the time for us to shrink back from prayer and from the preaching of God's word. May we be even more bold. May we be even more passionate in our prayer and in our preaching. Paul prays that the word would move forward. But he also prays that he would make it clear. He would make it clear. You know, we need, we need clarity. You know, in, in a postmodern world, in a world that believes that there's no absolute standard for truth, we need the church to stand up and preach the clear message of the gospel. It, it, it is offensive. The message is offensive. We, as we're going to talk about in our second thought here today, we don't have to be offensive in the way we declare the message, but the message is offensive. Scripture says that it will be. Why is the message of the gospel offensive? Because the message of the gospel looks at a person and tells them that they are a sinner and that they are incapable of saving themselves and that they are under the judgment of God and unless they do something, that judgment will turn into an eternal judgment. That's the message. That's offensive. Yes, it is. But the good news is that, yes, that is the truth of the gospel, but the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to die in your sins. Is that you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be made brand new. Your past and all of your mistakes and your failures can be done away with forever. And you can be born again. We need more clarity today, not less. The more that anti-biblical messages increase in our world, the more there is a need for preachers to be clearer on the truth. You know, the foundational belief of truth today is that you get to decide what truth is. There's no external uh, view of uh, truth outside of ourselves. Truth for a postmodern world in a world apart from Christ, truth starts here. Within, I get to determine what my truth is. That's the message of the world. I get to determine what is true for me. And what is true for me may not be true for you. And so I live how I live. And you don't tell me that the way I live is wrong. In that type of world, we need to be more clear. Why? Because that view is wrong. Because that view is wrong. The biblical view that God is our creator, that we're not the result of a, a cosmic accident and, and the process of evolution, that God is our creator, right? That is biblical truth, and we must be clear on that. That, that impacts every area of our life, that every person is valuable and made in his image. We need to be more clear on that, not less clear. The biblical message is what our world needs today. And we must pray that that message would move forward in power and that it would be clear But even more, we must pray that our lives would demonstrate the gospel's power to transform. So the first emphasis that Paul gives here, and this is my challenge to you, is to pray for the word of God to move forward in our world today. Pray that living word would always be a foundation for the word of God. That's why we are called living word church. And may we always function as living word church. That we bring the living word to God's people. Because it is alive and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, it cuts, it divides. May that always be the case. Pray to that end with me. Would you pray with me? The second thing that we need to focus on, let's go back to the text in Colossians 4. We need to pray that our lives would be gracious and well-seasoned. We need to pray. We need to pray the word would move forward with power and clarity, that it would never be compromised in, our, in, in this pulpit, but that it would never be compromised in our lives as, as well. Pray that our lives would be gracious and well-seasoned. Look what Paul says there. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul says, pray for us to preach clearly and powerfully, that God would open a door for the word. Then he switches his focus to how our lives as Christians are lived in the world. So what is he saying here? He's saying that the gospel is preached from the pulpit, but it also must be lived through our lives. If all we do is preach and pontificate from the pulpit and we preach and, and, we, and we talk and we share, but we're not living, we're undercutting. We're undercutting our message. Our lives must live what we say we believe. They must have, there is, there's no such thing as a Christian who does not demonstrate the transformation of the gospel in their everyday life. Let me say that again. There is no such thing as someone who says they are a Christian, but they do not demonstrate the transformation in their life. That does not exist. Like a closet Christian, a, a, a CIA Christian, a secret service Christian, a private Christian. No, that's, that's not even a category. That, that, that person is a non-believer. You guys follow me? That's not a Christian. A Christian demonstrates, right? An orange tree does what? Produces oranges. An apple tree does what? Doesn't produce pecans. I love pecans, right? I love pecan pie. I can't wait for the holiday season. I love me some pecan pie, and I'm, over the years, perfecting my recipe. But I don't go to an apple tree looking for, for pecans. I go to a pecan tree, or I go to Rouse's, buy the, buy the pecans, already shelled and, 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 and you know, uh, chopped for me, right? The same is true for our life. When the world comes to look for a Christian, they need to come and look in, in our life. That's what a Christian looks like. That's how a Christian talks. And this is what Paul is saying here. Walk in wisdom towards who? Towards, the, towards outsiders, to those who are not in the faith. Yeah, we need to be bold and we need to be clear. But if we don't live what we are boldly proclaiming, then we're undercutting the message. So we need to pray that our lives would match our message. Jesus said this in Matthew 13 about the seeds and the sower. He said, as for what was sown on good soil, was the seed sown on good soil? You're a representation of good soil. That's why you're here. You're a Christian. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, indeed bears fruit. If the seed of the word is sown into the, the heart of a person that is ready to receive it, it will indeed bear fruit. It's not optional. It's not maybe they'll bear fruit. No, it will bear fruit. Some, some 100, some 30, some 60 fold. We're all at different levels of our spiritual growth, but there will be fruit. Look, right? You, when you're born again, there will be a change. And you're going to begin. Once you're changed, you begin the process of becoming more like Christ. You may still have some habits that aren't good. You may still have some associations that aren't good. You may have to break off this friendship and that friendship and stop listening to that music and watching those type of TV shows, right? But, but something changed. There will be some level of fruit in your life when you place your faith in Jesus. Have you experienced that today? Is that true of your life? Absolutely. That should be true of our lives. And we need to pray 
that that would be demonstrated in our life. And Paul mentions three areas of how this transformation is demonstrated when we are interacting. I don't lose sight of this. He's speaking about how we interact with the world. He's saying, preach boldly, pray that we can preach boldly, that it's clear, right, with passion. That there's an open door, pray for an open door for the word. But pray that we would interact with non-believers in, in a very uh, 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 special, uh, uh, careful way. What does he say here? He says, walk in wisdom. Walking in wisdom is one area. What does that mean to walk in wisdom towards non-believers? God has called us to have wisdom that leads us to be ready to engage with non-believers in gospel-focused conversations. That means that we're sensitive to the Lord when we are in relationship with those who don't know the Lord. God, help us to have wisdom, that we would walk in wisdom in the way that we live, in the way that we interact. I remember I used to work for a company that put in alarm systems and security cameras, and, and there was a brother that I worked with for several years, and, and I would talk about Christ, and I would, I would, he would knew I was a Christian. He knew I wasn't in ministry here at Living Word yet. I was attending here, and, and um, so he knew I was a Christian, but I, I, I hadn't yet fully shared the gospel with him. And I was waiting for that moment. I wanted to walk in wisdom with him, do it at the right time, at the appropriate time, and I wanted the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know when to share. And so I kept praying to that end. And one day we pull up at a job, and, and I'm, he's my helper, and I'm the one that's leading the job. And so we're about to walk in to bring all the supplies into the house to run the security cameras and the alarm system. And all of a sudden it starts pouring down rain like torrential rain starts pouring down. And it's like instantly I knew this is my moment. I've been praying about it. I've been waiting for that moment. And I just knew in my heart the wisdom from the Lord came in and I knew now is the time to share the gospel. And that's what I did. I just took a moment and I said, brother, I got a question for you. And I just started with a question and I navigated with him and just preached the gospel. And I believe to this day, if that brother, I don't know if he's a believer, not or yet, I've lost touch with him. But I know that he received it well. And if he saw me today, I, he, saw me, he saw me two, three years ago and he hugged my neck. He hadn't seen me in several years. Wisdom with outsiders. God will give you that right time. That's, we need to pray to that end. God, help us to walk in wisdom. Secondly, he says, speaking with grace. Speaking with grace. I pray that whenever we preach the gospel, that it would be full of grace. What does it mean to be gracious? It means to be kind. Often you hear people preach the gospel sometimes. You see them maybe on TV and they're pounding, they're pounding and they're pointing and they're, you see hatred in their eyes and, and, and you're just like, how is that representing Christ? Right? We must be gracious. We must be kind. Look what, look what happened. Jesus is in the, is in the synagogue and he's preaching. He's teaching in the synagogue and he's quoting Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to good news to the poor and and then look, look what they say in Luke chapter 4 about Jesus. And all spoke well of him. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Wow. Isn't that so good? Isn't that great? That's what I want of my life. I want people, when they're done interacting with me, that they would marvel at the grace that comes out of my lips. Is that your prayer today? I, I, I pray that for you. I pray that for me, that as representatives of Christ, that, that when people are done interacting with us, they, they would say, wow, what grace, what peace, what kindness, what gentleness. We need to pray that that would be true. What's the third area Paul focuses on? He says, he says that our speech must be gracious and then seasoned with salt. And 
Seasoned with salt, I'll describe it as this. Speaking in ways that leave people hungry for more. He says, your speech must be seasoned with salt. I say it's speaking in ways that leave people hungry for more. Have you, have you ever eaten a steak somewhere and it wasn't seasoned good? How, how bad is that when you've got to put ketchup on it? Or, or, or A1 or Heinz 57, that's not a good steak. This steak, look, salt, pepper, here's how I cook my steak. If you want to know my recipe, cast iron skillet, ribeye or strip steak, salt, pepper, both sides, you heat up the pan, this cast iron is really hot. You put butter, lots of butter, salted butter. And then you sear that steak on both sides. And then you put garlic cloves and rosemary. And you baste that, oh, that butter on top of that steak. You guys hungry? It's 12 o'clock. You know, you come eat my steak. It's going to be seasoned well. And you're going to walk away. And you're going to say to your person, the person that you see at church, you need to have a steak at Pastor Ben's house. That was amazing, right? Because it was seasoned well. It was enhanced. But I went to a restaurant one time, and I don't think they put a lick of salt on that thing. And I paid $40 for the steak. Not a lick of salt. I mean, I just ate it, and I was like, I got the waitress, hey, I need some A1 here. You can't fix this. <laughs> I need some A1. Well, you don't recommend that steak to anybody, do you? In the same way. That's what it means that our speech is seasoned with salt. Our speech should enhance the message, not take away from it. That's how we want our lives to be, that when we are speaking with people, we need to pray to that end. God, I pray that when I speak to somebody that's not a believer, that they, that they leave that encounter and think, man, i gotta, I got to talk to that person again. That was a great experience. That's what we need to pray to, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, right? Graciousness, kindness, speech that enhances, it doesn't take away. Let's pray to that end, that our lives would be gracious and well-seasoned, that our lives would be attractive, that they would testify, right? That's what we want. We want our lives to testify to the reality of Christ. There's a story of a pastor named Will Houghton. Will Houghton lived in the 1930s and 40s, and he was a preacher. He was a pastor of a local church. He ended up becoming the, the, the seminary president of, of Moody Bible Institute. But when Pastor Houghton was pastoring, before he became a seminary president, there was an agnostic brother. We don't know his name, but he was suicidal. He was contemplating suicide, and he was a skeptic, and he was desperate. He was desperate, and he wanted to know the truth, but he didn't trust preachers. And he had heard of Pastor Houghton. And this is what he did. The man hired a private detective to watch Pastor Houghton. He said, I want you to follow that man's life. I want you to see if he really lives what he preaches. If he lives what he preaches, I'm going to go listen to him. So when the investigator's report came back, it revealed that this preacher's life was above reproach. That he was for real. The agnostic went to Houghton's church, accepted Christ. This is a true story. Accepted Christ. And later, later that man who accepted Christ sent his daughter to Moody Bible Institute, which Houghton was leading. Isn't that powerful? Are you going to hire a private detective for me? Do it. Do it, right? And I pray that my life would be like Pastor Houghton's, that it would testify to the reality of what Christ has done in me. My life, my speech, the way I interact with my wife and my kids, pray to that end. What should we pray about? What should we pray about? What's Paul say? 
Pray that the word of God would move forward with power. God, open the door for the word in the middle of a culture that doesn't want truth. And God, may we walk in wisdom towards outsiders. May we have speech that backs what we say we believe. The Bible exposition commentary puts it like this. The Christians walk and talk must be in harmony with each other. Nothing will silence the lips like a careless life. When character, conduct, and conversation are all working together, it makes for a powerful witness. Let us pray to that end. As we conclude this morning, it's really, you know, this is the end of the section that we're going to cover with the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4, but really there's really one powerful implication to all of this. What's the Apostle Paul focusing on here? He's focusing on the world. He's, he's not focusing on his own personal ministry. He's not focusing on, get, on getting out of jail. He's focusing on those that don't know Christ. He's saying, God, I, I just want another opportunity to preach the gospel. God, I pray for the church at Colossae, that they would walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I pray that their speech would be gracious and seasoned with salt. God, help them to make an impact. That's his prayer. That's, his, that's the drive of his life. And so, to me, the, the most obvious implication of what we're talking about this morning is our third thought as we conclude this morning. What do we need to pray about today? We need to pray passionately and continually for the lost. We need to pray passionately and continually for the lost. How often do we pray that people are saved? I, I, I fall into the trap as much as you do. I, I, I pray about my life. Pray about my finances. I pray about my kids. I, I pray about my kids every day. Lord, help them to love you. Help them to make good choices. God, protect them. Keep them safe. I pray for my wife. I, I pray for this church. I pray for your sanctification. I pray that you would mature in the faith. But how often do we stop and pray that God would save the lost? I think so easily it is for us to live our life and we forget the realities of heaven and hell and eternity and and we forget the urgency with which we are called to live this life as Christians. And, and so as a result of that, we don't pray for the lost. My prayer today is that in context of what Paul is saying here, that we would see the implications of this is that we must pray passionately and continually for the lost. God answers prayers. He answers our prayers. May our hearts be gripped with the passion to see people born again. May we long to see lives transformed. Marriages rescued, children reconciled to their parents, lives redeemed and futures restored. You know that's you here today? You are a life transformed. If you're a Christian here today, you are a life transformed. Some of you here today, your marriage was rescued. Why was it rescued? Not because you figured it out on your own how to rescue your marriage. Who rescued your marriage? God did. He did it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel took root in your heart. And you learned as a husband how to love your wife. You learned as a wife how to celebrate your husband and submit to his role in your life. You, God brought healing and forgiveness in your marriage. It's because of the gospel. And my prayer is, is that our prayer would be that we want to see that happen in people's lives. Who do you know in your life? Their marriage. They don't know the Lord in their marriages. It's about over. Maybe it is over. Who do you know in your life? Their lives are in chains to sin. They're living as slaves to sin and to Satan. And they need redemption. Who do you know? 
I pray that our hearts would long to see people transformed. Because why? Because, because God gets glory through all of it. And this is our message. This is why we pray to that end, because this is our message. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to hear this. This is so impactful. Therefore, we, 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 who is the we? It's us. We are ambassadors for Christ. What is an, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who represents someone else. We are ambassadors for Christ. And every time I read this verse, it really freaks me out when I read it. I don't know if I should say that as a pastor, being freaked out, but I am when I read it. I'm, I'm, well, I guess a better word is I'm humbled. And I, I think, how is this possible? Listen to this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God, creator of the universe, were making an appeal through us. Whoa. How's that possible? I, I know your life, and I know your life, and I know where you've been from, and, and I know, right, right, and, and I know my life, and how is that possible that God would use us? I, I often think about that. How is it that God can use lips that are still capable of lying to speak ultimate truth? How could he ever do that? Only a mercy. Only a mercy from God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. And what do we do? What's our appeal? We beg the world. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's what we do. We beg people. We implore them. The the New King James or the English Standard Version says we implore, we beg, we plead with you. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And here's the gospel. He, God, made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf because I'm a sinner. So that I might become, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is our message. And I pray that we would be gripped with that message in such a way that we quit just living for ourselves day to day. It's not just survival mode, folks. It's gospel advancement time. It's why we're here. Amen? It's gospel advancement time. Listen to the passion of the Apostle Paul. We beg you. We plead with you. The world's looking for answers all around us. They can't fix COVID. The scientists are all confused. They don't know what's up from down. Leaving us all confused. The economy, what's going to happen with it? Who's going to be elected president? They're looking for answers all around. And you know what? If you're a believer here today, you have the answer. You have the answer. And I just want to encourage you, when you're around somebody that's not a believer, and you're around somebody and they are so overwhelmed with what's going on, give them hope. Give them Christ. And say, it's going to be okay. My God's not dead. He's alive. He's got this under control. The issue is not, is not whether you're going to die. The issue is, is when will you die? Is it going to be from COVID or is it going to be from a car accident on Highway 311? That's not the answer. That's not the question you have to ask. And so in light of that, my brother, my sister, the most important thing to contemplate is not survival. The most important thing to contemplate is your eternal destiny. John 6, says this, No one can come to, to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
All we have to do is be faithful to preach. But we won't preach without a passion. We must keep preaching the gospel. We must keep living the gospel. And we must keep praying to that end. That we would keep preaching, that we would keep living. Keep preaching, keep living. Amen? Keep preaching, keep living. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, He said, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Right? Sermon on the Mount. It's li- that, that phrase, ask, seek, knock, it's literally translated this. Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find it. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. What does that mean? It means persistence. You keep on. You keep on. And you're tired of me talking right now. It's 12-12. I talked about the stake. Your stomach started rumbling. You're ready for me to go. Quit. Pa- Pastor Ben, quit talking about the lost. Quit. quit. Just quit. Let's, no, no, no. We keep seeking. We keep asking. We keep knocking. Why? Because it is our message. Because it is why we are here. And that's the persistence that we must have. As a lady that once asked famous evangelist Billy Sunday. You guys ever heard of Billy Sunday? He would preach and thousands of people would come and gather and be saved. And he was famous for having revival meetings. And this lady came up to Billy Sunday one day and he asked, she asked him a question. Why do you keep having revivals when it doesn't last? Why do you keep having revivals when it doesn't last? Billy Sunday, as graciously as he could, he looked at the woman he said why do you keep taking baths ask seek knock keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking right we don't stop because God so loves the world that's why we do it you know the power in all of this just look back at the text as we close and Colossians 4, 3, the power in all of this is something we read earlier. Look back at what Colossians says here. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us the door. Who who opens the door? We seek, we ask, we seek, we knock, we persist, but it's God that does it. God's the one who gives the opportunity. That's why we keep asking. That's why we keep seeking. That's why we keep knocking. And I want our church more than now, than ever before, I want our church to have such a clear gospel focus. And this is, this, if there's, you know, there's many things you can pray about in your life. And, and, and I am for praying for our own personal needs. But if there's anything that we need to pray about now more than ever is the soul of our country. Is the lost souls that are in it. We need to pray desperate prayers for that. And I am convicted with my own message. Convicted while I was studying. Convicted in the 9 a.m. Convicted right now. I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to me. We need a passion for the lost to continue to pray. To pray that God would save souls. And to rest in the reality that it's him that does it. He's the one that opens the door. All we have to do is keep on asking. Keep on seeking. And keep on knocking. Just stand your feet with me. If you're here today, you don't know the Lord, you're not in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As it said in John 6, 44, no man comes to the Father, relationship with God, the Father, except through Christ. If that's you here today, you know if it's you. 
if you have never placed your faith in Christ and believed the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is that God is holy and man is sinful. And there's no way for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God in and of himself. And that sinful man, if he dies in his sin under the judgment of God, he'll spend eternity separated from God. But the gospel is, is that our heavenly father, God, so loved the world that he gave his only son to take the place, to be the mediator between holy God and sinful man and to bridge the gap so sinful man can come and be in a relationship with God, their creator. That's the gospel. If you've never known that, understood it, and professed your faith in that work, that you here today, you can be saved today. You can make that decision to place your faith in him. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. That's you here today. If it's anyone, just would you lift, just, just lift your hand to signify to God that that's you. A representation of your heart. Just lift your hand. Is there anybody here today, if that's you? Anybody you want to commit to Christ today? Anybody? If that was you and you lifted your hand or you didn't lift your hand, but you know it's in your heart that that you want to commit to Christ, you know, we we, we get caught up in the idea of people having to pray the sinner's prayer. There is no sinner's prayer, like a formula sinner's prayer. There's no like sinner's prayer that is in the Bible. You find a sinner's prayer, pray that, and people get saved. That's not how it works. The sinner's prayer is the prayer of the sinner. What prayer do you pray? as a sinner. That's your prayer. The prayer is, is that you believe God is real, that God sent his son, and you repent and you receive him. That's the sinner's prayer. You pray that prayer. If you pray that prayer in your heart today, you can be saved. And if you make that decision today, we want to give you a couple of books here today as a way to help you in your spiritual growth. There's a first book is called, What is the Gospel? It explains to you what I just said in 10 seconds there about the gospel. And you can learn further about what the gospel is and then Another book I want to give you is called Training, How Do I Grow as a Christian? If you confess Christ today, these are a gift from us to you. You can get them at the welcome desk and they'll give you more information. And Lord, for us here today that are already believers in Jesus Christ and we've made that confession, God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts today. That we would would stop being complacent in our Christian life and that we would passionately seek you that we would be passionate about what you're passionate about. Lord, help us to be passionate about souls. That we would pray that the word of God would move forward with boldness and passion. That we would pray that our lives would be congruent with our message. And that we would pray passionately and continually for people to be saved. Lord, it's what we want because it's, it's what we know that you want. May that be true of our lives. More than just flowery things to say may it be true of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week.